0: Thank you. and welcome to my niche podcast about the one thing i know something about game shows i suppose i'm your host jordan haas and we have a fun episode for you today my friend shane from the podcast beast coast is stopping on by to talk about win benstein's money yeah hopefully we have a lot of fun with that uh can't believe they're celebrating three years of podcasting over there i'm not even within my first three months but I, I don't know how he does Maybe I have to ask him what's the secret. And I'm guessing it's Guess. Anyway, before we get to our review of When Ben Signs Money, uh, we got to get through some news here. Uh, starting off, we'll go around the world here, specifically to Australia, as they have canceled two game shows, one of which is Pointless, uh, which is a BBC game show. They have their own formatted version in Australia. Uh, it's a game show where they ask 100 people, 100 seconds to answer questions or name something from a category. So they were trying to do this as basically the replacement show to Family Feud. Because Family Feud it's over there as well. And uh, I guess it didn't do so well because it's now ending. Or or some other various reason. Um, and that's That's a little tough because I think Pointless is a very fun format. I know America was going to have their own version of Pointless and it just... Wound up um, going nowhere in, on Game Show Network. Uh, the second one, because even though Pointless uh, got the axe, and I mean it's a short lived game show over there in Australia, the other one is a little more shocking. It is called Rock Quiz. Uh, Rock Quiz is a basically a music game show with musical guests, and, and, and it's an actual game show. But what was shocking is the show has been on the air for 14 years. And there was no gimmick. There was no sign of it really stopping. They didn't really change the format. The viewership was still the same. It just seemed like they just ended it. Uh, the sole broadcasting company has ended the 14 year game show uh, in Australia. And, and that was a real shocker to me because I was like, because I know that's one of the few game shows that have longevity in Australia was a Rock Quiz. So uh, that, that's weird to me but uh, i mean it it, it's a game show folks sometimes these shows just end and you know to me i don't want to see them in and especially something that had some sort of longevity like rock quiz where you get music and fun questions and and some comedy it was it was a well-rounded show a perfect staple of australian television but what are you going to do about it television folks um, other than that, let's get to American news. So, America's Got Talent is uh, warming up. It's season 14. Uh, as as pretty much people have probably suspected, Terry Crews, who was the host of America's Got Talent Champions, is now the host of America's Got Talent proper, uh, which is great. Uh, Simon Cowell and Howie Mandel are the only two judges to return. Uh, Mel B is gone, as is... Heidi Klum. Uh, so instead of Mel and Heidi, you will see Gabrielle Union and Julian Ho. Uh, if you don't know who either of these two people are, well, I, I can't believe you don't understand a dancer of Julian Ho, and you don't understand the talents that is the uh, actress and producer Gabrielle Union. So, considering the fact that they are mostly dance squads and music numbers, I can see where they're going out with this. Especially considering a lot of dancers that go on to be in the finales. So, I, I think what they're going for at least in this term around is they're trying to get the comedian if Howie, they're trying to get the music expert with Simon. They're trying to they're going to make Simon the music person because of his heydays of American Idol. Uh, then they're going to get the dancer and then I guess they're going actress producer for and everything else because she's a well-rounded judge. Uh, well, good, good for them, I, I would say. So look forward to that in the next season of America's Got Talent. So those are some good casting choices, I would say. I uh, mean it's always a rotating panel of judges. I mean, I remember when it was Brandy and, and, and David Hasselhoff and Piers Morgan. Piers Morgan was a judge before he became probably the most hated person in the entire world. Oh, well. So Cosmopolitan Magazine did a profile piece on Vanna White, the famous letter-turner, now letter-pusher, on Wheel of Fortune. Uh, basically talking about her net worth, which, you know, is all that, that it matters, I guess, in the world of television. Let's ignore the fact that she's been there since, like, the 80s, and that show's been on for almost 40 years now. Uh, her net worth is totaling $50 million, according to the piece, but she also has a $47 million house in Los Angeles, meaning it's about $100 million if it sells. Um but also, she is a, She's an Instagram influencer. She has her own like photos at official Vanna White, which I did not know until today. Which goes to show you that even me, a game show fan, doesn't even know that Vanna White has an Instagram until right now. Um, but but I'm looking at it right now, and she's there's a photo of her enjoying some hot chicken from Hattie Bee's. So, good, good for that, I guess. Uh, That was a weird profile piece on Vanna White. Uh, Other than that, uh, if you love casino gambling, Evolution Gaming unveils a new deal-or-no-deal live game. There's a press release from February 4th, 2019. uh, Based on the hit TV game show... Deal or No Deal Live is the world's first 24-7 game show, allowing players to play along from the comfort of their own home. Hushalter added, Hushalter is David Hushalter, the Evolution Chief Product Officer, uh, We wanted to stay true to the game show that people know and love, retaining the engaging presenter and the thrill of awaiting the offer from the banker, but all the while making it compatible for online players as a live game. With that in mind, we embarked upon what is the most complex studio that Evolution has ever built to date. The game has a mix of RNG elements, allowing players the chance to win big, as well as the universally recognizable studio set design and rich studio effects for UI actions, recreating the atmosphere of the hit TV show and bringing that to online gaming. Uh, I'm guessing by the sounds of things, this is going to be gambling. This is a gambling uh, game, because unless this is like for tickets or for gems or some points, uh, according to the end of the article, we want to reach entertainment standards so high that people would want to watch the progress of the game, even if they weren't players in it, just as they would watch the TV show. I mean, okay, Uh, but these are all a, a, a lot of gambling things, so I'm guessing... If I had to take a guess, it'd be something that's on, like, in Vegas, where you pay $10, and then, like, half of them are less than $10, and the others are a little more than $10, or some sort of variation of that. Um, But considering the fact they want it to be 24-7, that's telling me it might be a Twitch interaction, it might be something that is going to be live broadcast-wise, so it could be something that is on Twitch integration, kind of like those Twitch blackjack things. Have you ever seen those? Those weird like casinos where it's like someone like playing blackjack or or roulette, and it's just some person behind a green screen. I'm guessing that's going to be the case for this as well, but with. Uh, integration so i'm guessing maybe it's something along the lines of like with gems like twitch gems at the very least if they're going twitch maybe gems uh maybe if it's an actual money game uh it will be weird to see how that transpires because 24 7 gameplay and the, the whole point of deal or no deal is risk reward with money uh I don't know how that's going to interact, but if it's a casino game, it's going to probably be a completely luck-based uh, offering. Uh, this is no stranger to like a live 24-7 experience of Deal or No Deal, as anyone who's ever been to an arcade in the last 10 years will tell you that there is a Deal or No Deal arcade game where instead of money, it's tickets. Uh, few people ever hit that Deal button, though, from what I have gathered watching a lot of people play the dealer no deal game, they just go till the very end and then just be happy with like four tickets, which is funny cuz it's like you have a lot of tickets in front of you, maybe you're trying to maybe you don't understand the concept of the game. You have guaranteed tickets. Take it or keep going. Yeah, and then if they don't get the dealer no deal license, they can call it ticket or leave it. That that's a joke for you folks. Take ticket or take it or leave it take it or leave it so there are two game shows coming to true tv according to the broadcasting cable one is called can you beat yamika which these comedians compete in a series of fast-paced games to see who's the quickest wit. each week one winner goes head to head with a host to see who's funnier on their feet could be uh developed with yamika saunders niall evans and rick dorfman as the executive producers so I- i'm guessing it's a comedy game show with jokes Because I don't know what what that's going to be like. It seems like, once again, this is one of those, they came up with the name first, and they came up with who's hosting it, but nothing around it. So, we'll wait and see how that goes on True TV. The other one is the one I was curious about. It's called Around the World in 80 Games. As the working tower, it's a half-hour comedic series in which Feimster travels the globe and throws herself into the surreal world of international game shows. As True puts it, the pilot is produced by Tenfold with Feimster and Tenfold's Craig Armstrong and Rick Ringback as the executive producers. Uh, So uh, this is a weird thing, because Fortune is uh, the host, Uh, and it's a weird, weird show, uh, because uh, the concept is basically... Each episode is a new game show. Sound familiar? Uh, But instead of, you know, let's talk about the show, it's she performs on the show as a contestant of some kind. Uh, In the pilot, she went to Brazil, I believe, for a variety game show because Brazilian formats uh, are basically uh, focused on an ultra-male demographic, sexy, and comedic. So I'm guessing because of the because uh, they're going for pro- probably more physical-based game shows. Ha ha, uh, a little more plus-sized lady falling down on things is funny. So he, 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 funny, they fell in the physical challenge. Or, uh, you know, here's skimpy bikinis. Well, here's her in a skimpy bikini. I'm guessing that's what they're going for for the comedic value in this and the slight embarrassment that is some of these game shows. Uh, I know Todd Newton pitched that. Uh, Former game show's Todd Newton, host of uh, Family Game Night on The Hub and Whammy, The Only Press Your Luck. He had a similar concept where for each episode he went to a different game show and try it. And this is no new. Like uh, in the UK, I believe Clive something, Clive Anderson maybe, Uh, did Endurance in Japan. And that was the world's toughest game show. So, so things like this have been around. Oh, no, no, it was Takeshi's Castle. It was Takeshi's Castle uh, that he did. And so this is nothing new. It's the whole, here's some weird outsider doing a foreign game show for comedic effect, which America has yet to really accomplish. And I'm going to be the one to say it. It doesn't work as a, a format anymore. Uh, One, it's because uh, most of these weird, wacky game shows, it's more of a cultural thing of what appeals to those audiences. So uh, it's kind of like you're trying to understand like Countdown or Taskmaster, even though you have no understanding of the UK uh, need for cleverness as a reward versus the United States risk reward atmosphere of, of everything has to be a gamble of some kind. You can't have something unless you risk something as well. Uh, so, so like like things like that, it's a cultural atmosphere. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be a bad idea. I, I do appreciate that because, I mean, coming from where I am, I love the cultural impacts of game shows in different societies and different cultures and different customs, and I think game shows are a time capsule of some kind. But I think the fact it's true TV and the fact it's around the world in 80 games uh definitely tells you that after 80 episodes they'll probably cancel it because they're not going to keep going with this and plus is there really 80 different game shows you can have which is the same similar effect like is, is wipeout still on the air somewhere i mean wipeout exists that was a game show where people fall down if they're going for physical comedy that show existed takeshi's castle is no longer on the air so I don't know if, if if that's gonna be something. Are they gonna to try to go to Japan and do like panel quiz attack, or or are they going to go to like Italy and do one of those weird game shows where they're in bikinis and they're in snake pits? Like, I'm get, I'm thinking that's what they're going for. Like, isn't this weird, folks? Isn't this weird? Isn't this weird? Isn't this weird? And and not really. Um, I'm not gonna say like level the game show. Or praise the game show other than it's going to be focused on fortune. And, and she's funny, don't get me wrong. She is a hilarious uh, comedian. Uh, I saw her on The Fix, the Jimmy Carr uh, panel show on Netflix. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm confused by where this is going to go. And I'm taking a guess because it's a pilot episode. I don't know if they're going to go with a full season or eight episodes. Uh, but it's true TV. And so I'm assuming they're just going to buy it in bulk, go through the full 80 episodes, and then rerun that in between the Carbonaro effect and Impractical Jokers, because that's true TV for you. They don't really do the fact shows, and I don't think they're really going to give you any facts other than, the studio is filmed in this city. Other than that, I, I don't I don't. know. It's, are you going to try to go for the Anthony Bourdain of game shows? Who knows? Well, i'll tune in i'm gonna watch the episodes uh other than that this is uh valentine's day or day before valentine's day uh, i'm single i am disappointed in myself yet again i'm bi um, so i so that that double stings but uh, maybe i can you know take solace And just uh, eat some ice cream, have a pizza by myself, and watch uh, Netflix's dating game show called Dating Around. Let's face it, dating sucks this Valentine's Day. Why not let Netflix take the wheel while you watch other people navigate the world of dating with Dating Around every episode? One single goes on five first dates filled with flirty banter, awkward exchanges, and moments of true connection. Who will get a second date? Netflix's first original dating show takes an honest and compelling look at the real world of dating. That's not how it works. I don't think that's how it works. Uh, usually, uh, dating is not casted where you try to find love and then you go on five different dates and you see what happens and you hope for the best to see who gets a second date because that's the prize for these dating shows. is usually a second date because it's cheaper than saying a cash prize or a trip. It's the second date. And the second date... Sometimes it doesn't even happen, because that's how Dane shows work. It's a very, very, very cheap uh, production. Usually, the way it goes is uh, someone who's the field producer has to scope out the areas. What sh- What is the restaurant you're going to? What is the park you're going to? So they can get the permits, and then they can have to close up sometimes the places or get permission to film while they're still passersby because they can't really afford to sell out the place and lose money. So so this is not how real dating is, no matter how they perceive it, that is not how dating works in this grand scheme of game shows, or in the grand scheme of reality television, because some of it is always exaggerated, some of it is always faked. Uh, Even on the television series Blind Date, there has to be some scope of of what's going on. Even if it's just awkward small chatter. Because then that's your comedic thing is small talk is tough. So here's some awkward conversations. Isn't that funny? Hilarious. Uh, It's called Dating Around. It premieres Valentine's Day. Oh, boy. I am lonely. I... Please send me h- hugs and, and smooches. Oh. Anyway, where were we? Oh yeah, today's game. The son of Mildred, who was a homemaker, and Herbert, a writer, economist, and presidential advisor. Ben would be no stranger to politics. He would become a major of economics at Columbia College, and later go on to law school at Yale. First, a poverty lawyer in New Haven, Connecticut, and later, a trial lawyer for the Federal Trade Commission. He would be no stranger to battling against the lower class on a daily basis. This would evidentially give him a job, much like his father, as a speechwriter and lawyer for President Richard Milhouse Nixon, and soon, after the Watergate scandal, Gerald Ford. In May 3, 1976, Time Magazine would assume he was Deep Throat, the smoking gun that would bring down the Nixon administration, to which Ben would claim that investigative journalist Bob Woodward was falsifying the famous secret source. When the news would break, it was actually Mark Felt, a former associate director of the FBI. He was humbled and would continue to dismiss the facts reported. In the 1980s, he would get a cameo on Ferris Bueller's Day Off as a dull teacher uttering his famous line Bueller Bueller in the teenage slice of life comedy later on he would become an actual teacher this time a professor of constitutional rights at Pepperdine University in Malibu from 1990 to 1997 it was in 1998 he would get his own game show where once again He would try and crush working class individuals, but instead of at the courtroom or in the newspapers, it would be at Hollywood Center Studios. Only this time, it was for his own paycheck. Okay, actually it was a bonus that was given at the end of the season, but today comrades, we're going to win Ben Stein's money. Now let's turn the tables! With me on the line from the beloved podcast Beast Coast, it's Shane. Hi, Jordan. How are you? I'm doing great. Tell me about yourself. Well,
1: right now I'm sitting in blustery, cold Washington, D.C. Uh, yeah, just enjoyed an episode of uh, Win Benstein's Money, and uh, yeah, real excited to be here.
0: Well, thank you for for stopping by. This is, yes, we are, we did watch Win Benstein's Money. That is the, the game show of this episode uh ben stein's money uh debuted J- uh, july 28th 1997 its final episode was january 31st 23rd, uh 2003 uh fun thing to, to know about this uh buena vista television was the production company the same people behind who wants to be a millionaire um
1: that's that's interesting so they went on to like really from 2003 that was right about when who wants to be a millionaire was kind of hitting its stride, right? That would have been like the third or fourth season right? when they stopped. Uh,
0: It was created by four people. Albertan, Donnie Brainerd, Byron Galore, and Andrew J. Golder. Four people for this format. Uh, Which which has uh, the, the Taylor character of Ben Stein, which I guess is the reason you wanted to pick this in the first place he's a fascinating cultural character
1: i mean he came out of like a really kind of buttoned down uh washington dc world you know he was a speechwriter for the nixon administration and you know not a ton of people left that administration covered in like pop culture glory you know but he managed to reinvent himself uh in hollywood with uh, his cameo in ferris bueller's day off and then he went on to you know parlay that into a series of commercials and this tv show and now he's like a still somewhat beloved cultural figure but again not many people from the nixon administration managed to pull that off so it uh it uh does remain a kind of fascinating like uh, transformation to watch also i mean he still talks about politics all the time like it's not like he just gave that life up like you'll still see him as a commentator sometimes on like fox or most or recently
0: saying acasio is hitler <laughs> Uh, yeah that's one of them uh, although
1: it's funny because uh, Ben Stein definitely has like a obviously I don't really agree with any of his politics but I will say he has like a pretty unique uh, personality and like take and you know he's like quirky and I guess somewhat lovable but that just sounds like your standard kind of Fox News brainworms. worms. Uh, <laughs> so there's nothing really uniquely Ben Stein about that take, sadly. He should have he uh, challenged her to some kind of debate or like or something like that. Challenge her to the more, best
0: of 10, test of knowledge.
1: Exactly. It would have been way more like in keeping with this character. But um, yeah, interesting guy, interesting show. Also, really, I just enjoyed the show a lot when I was younger, so it's fun to revisit it
0: now. It did win six uh, Daytime Emmy Awards for Best Game Show Host. Is that a watch? Yeah, so the Game Show... show so the Daytime Emmys is, is basically for all the game shows. Okay. Uh, they won for Best Game Show Host. Uh, So so that there you go. Like, it, it did win awards back then. This was the show. Uh, I think it has, has equal amount to Cash Cab, to be honest. Uh, also... So I'm trying to
1: think, because of, of game shows that attempted to actually bring people with a fair amount of celebrity into the show right so i guess obviously family feud is the only one i'm thinking of where you would get like minor celebrities who would do like relatively long hosting stints right um is there a really like a precedent for that in the modern era like outside of the 70s to have like a a semi famous celebrity just transition to game
0: shows for like a long period of time Well, that is that you did pretty much bring it up because broadcasting back in the early days of television people who were like doing shows would end up also hosting as well So a lot of the time it was Broadway performers, and then along with Broadway, they did a hosting gig on the side to either promote their uh, upcoming show or, or just because they wanted to be a face of the network. So they would be there for two, three hours at a time.
1: Broadway kind of makes sense too if you give it like you think about people's classical theater training and how much of it is like just understanding the geometry of the stage and like knowing where to walk and like how not to block anything and like interacting spatially with people because I think that translates a lot to game shows because it's funny to see the hosts and the hostesses of a show like Price is Right or something, right? Yeah. And they know how to navigate the geometry of the floor very well. And then you get, um, you know, contestants who are on the stage for the first time don't really know where the cameras are. Kind of like run all over the place, and like they're they're sort of interesting to watch. And it, it's not surprising that folks with a strong theater background would find game shows like relatively easy to do. I guess
0: typically it would be more musicians. Uh, Alex Trebek was a singer originally. So was Chuck Woolery. Uh, boo, Chuck Woolery. Really, Chuck Woolery was a singer. Yeah, yeah, he had a big hit with "Naturally Stoned." <laughs> uh, yeah, that was his big claim to fame. Was the song Naturally Stone, which became its own reality show about Chuck Woolery on the Game Show Network. Uh, oh, that is wild. Yeah, so so a lot of it, so a lot of celebrities were like in something else originally before. Otherwise, it was sports broadcasting or or some sort of like writing gig. It, it's almost like it's almost like how they just fell into it. For this one, it's Ben Stein because of his speech writing uh efforts and i guess because the ferris bueller's day off but noted is the actual co-host which is kind of the actual main host of the show uh which was jimmy kimmel star of jimmy kimmel live this was his essentially his big break because before this he was jimmy the sports guy at k-rock here in los angeles
1: was this before the man show
0: right this was before the man show he got Win Benstein's money, and then later in that same season of Win Benstein's Money, it spun off to the Man Show. When he left Win Benstein's Money, he was doing the Man Show full time.
1: That is so wild. Um, yeah, Jimmy Kim. That is. I wonder how they got paired up. I wonder if they had any sort of uh, personal interaction before Benstein. I mean, I assume Benstein much must, must have pitched this show to producers, and they like maybe reached out and paired him with Jimmy Kimmel like cuz i mean the 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 dynamic kind of makes sense right because Ben Stein's sort of this tight, like buttoned up kind of guy. And you got Jimmy Kimmel who's a younger, sort of like snarky nineties Gen X type figure. Um and like I think they work kind of well because you have like the older adult authority kind of figure and then like the little snarky kids. So I'm curious if they knew each other or like Ben Stein knew Jimmy Kimmel enough to like think that he should bring him in or it was just entirely a decision on I, I behalf think of the studios. Was...
0: I think if they originally did the pitch it was not with Ben Stein in mind cuz they probably had him as, on like a small list of people to get. I think casting wise they were looking for a like almost like a Mr. Peabody and Sherman vibe, like here is this genius yeah. expert comedian guy and then here is the the the, the weirdo funny man which is the dynamic cuz as we know Ben Stein is a dull boy who sounds like this and I have the voice. And Jimmy is, you know, a little happed up and he's almost like he already has fifth cup of coffee that day and he's just done trying to crack jokes. And I think the pitch here because this was the 90s and this is the anti-90s. The anti-90s period of game shows that aren't have to be game shows, it's countercultural cuz Gen X. Yep. Uh this one is supposed to be the show where the host is the contestant. So, he, so he's the one that's out the money. Uh, that's a really interesting conceit. I mean, like, uh, a, a, yeah, it
1: kind of adds this interesting sort of deconstructivist theme that runs through the whole show. Like, the, just the idea, Yeah, they flip the whole thing around. Again, is, that, is there, you know, in your deeper reading of this topic, is there any precedent for that kind of thing? Where you had the host actually take on a contested role and actually stand to lose something?
0: Uh, so, Some of the times it would happen where, But usually when that was the case It was like in the game show themselves With celebrity thing And they would bring on somebody to be the guest host And they would be the contestant For instance Tattle Tales, Which we had recently of Kate Raft Sometimes Burt Convey would have their Like wife on the show And then they would get someone else to be the host uh, But they don't oh, stand to smart. really lose anything They just kind of just stand to be a Because it's a celebrity panel show um yeah, I, was, that. I think it's uh I always thought of Ben Stein's
1: uh hosting persona as kind of a, like a, an interesting critique of like Alex Trebek who um you know I think there was a criticism when I was growing up that Alex Trebek like despite putting on like kind of a a, a very urbane demeanor like you know he didn't know all the answers to the questions right and so this idea that like the host is sort of be omniscient like I, Ben Stein's Money kind of plays with that idea in a fun way, right? By actually seeing just how much he's he really knows about this, so yeah, it's fun.
0: Correct. And what makes Lynn Benzine's money uh, exciting is uh, the fact it is here's the host, and you have to beat the host in the trivia show because it is that surrealism of do you think this guy's really smart? Speaking of Jeopardy, uh, there's a fun fact here. On the show, because this is like the time of the 90s and Jeopardy won all the awards, and the only other counter-cultural to Jeopardy would be probably like the You Don't Know Jack CD-ROM series. Uh, in the event oh, I remember it, that. In the event that someone buzzes in and they say like, what is and the answer, they make it a big joke that they have to bring out a giant Duns cap and have the contestant wear it. Because you're on the wrong <laughs> show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is fun. So the, here's the quick rule, rundown of the rules, just in case you've never seen Win Ben Stein's Money. Uh, round one is played with three contestants, and Ben Stein is the host. There are five categories, and they all have very punny sexual innuendo names. Uh, values range from 50 to 150, so it's 50, 100, or 150. You buzz and you get the correct answer, you get the money, and then a $50 follow-up question that, if is not answered correctly, acts as the toss-up For the contestant to pick the next category. Uh, Once the time runs out through the nice cuckoo clock, there's a cuckoo clock. Whoever has the lowest score uh, is eliminated from the game, and Ben Stein gets to take their money back and put it in the bank. Round two, uh, the values range anywhere from $200 to $500 with no follow-up questions. But this time around is the big twist of the game as Ben Stein acts as a common contestant. And I'm guessing that was the original pitch. Was this round I two? And I yeah, re- I agree. I think it's structured
1: well, though, right? Where you, you get to have him sort of in an authoritative role and then kind of have him step down halfway through the episode. That, that's clever. Just having him as like a permanent contestant, I think it would have... I don't think it would have worked as well. I think the idea that he, there's this transition point in the episode, and you're like, oh, shit's about to get real. Like, that's that works better. It, it
0: was a smart move for the production team. And I'm guessing the original idea was, and this is why I'm saying I don't think ben, ben came second to this, I think they originally wanted someone more comedic, so when they came to this round of the common contestant, it would be like a character version of themselves. Like, well, my name's actually Joey, and I, the. the
1: oh like they were gonna play a role
0: yeah like they were gonna be a common role or they're the returning champion because a lot of game shows back then in the 80s had the returning champion return in that part two of the game show uh, so. I wonder if that would have been a little too
1: ironic, though, because at that point you'd you'd really have to wonder. So let's say that the the comedian comes down. Let's just game this game this out, right? Yeah. So the comedian comes down and he just plays like kind of a, a character instead of Ben Stein, kind of being Ben Stein throughout. I think in that case, there there would be, it, it might be funnier initially, and there's definitely more scope for jokes there. But I also feel like you'd lose a little bit of the tension because. It, it, you don't really have this anticipation that like the Ben Stein character is going to wipe the floor with everybody which yeah. occasionally happens. I mean, occasionally oh, Ben yeah. Stein just destroys every contestant and it's actually kind of kind of fun to watch.
0: But I was thinking like they have that have the disguise so it's the we don't know what it is but so obviously is Ben Stein or something. Yeah. Uh, is there another game show you can think of that's so built around the personality of the host? I mean, I, I would say that's the mainstay of a lot of modern game shows, is the comedians as the host usually revolve around kind of their comedy wit. For instance, Steve Harvey's mostly comedy is in family and relationships. So that's why a lot of the survey questions are now dating and family and relationships, and why you say penis Steve a lot. Because it gives him uh, something to riff off of. Yeah. Uh i would say other than that like it's not a lot of shows really revolve around the, the host they usually come second uh and they kind of say well this is similar in nature so let's pick the person up i think this is so, w- way up his alley though yeah how do you feel that the difficulty the questions
1: ranks against um other quiz show formats i mean harder i mean i don't think it's quite jeopardy level difficult but um I think it's still pretty
0: high up there. Like, there's not easy questions. This is the 90s, and the question... Oh, and by the way, for round two, we should also point out that Ben Stein has no pre-knowledge of the questions from there on out. So he, he really is out of the loop, and he sometimes does buzz in with cor- if incorrect answers. Yeah. Uh, uh, But, yeah, when it comes to the question, ta- I would say the $50 toss-ups are simple answers, like real, like, like $100 Jeopardy. But I would say when it comes to, like, a tough question. These are like really tough questions, but considering the time of, of where it was, not a lot of the questions here involving on pop culture which which is something
1: that was interesting yeah uh, upon watching that i was like oh yeah this isn't really like they're not asking questions about like contemporary television shows or something like they could ask there was no question about like friends despite the fact that this episode aired in like 99 or 2000 no, right it, there, there's no, no attempt to sort of glom onto the cultural trend this is like is ramsay's better-
0: the second questions these are questions about like archduke franz ferdinand Yeah, and they change up the topics enough that – and there's, like, such a
1: variety in the terms of the topics that I feel like it's difficult to really study ahead of time. You kind of have to have, like, a broad base of knowledge to draw off of. Otherwise, you're just not going to be able to do it. Because, I mean, even Jeopardy now, there's people who can kind of go through and and focus on particular types of questions or categories and really max
0: it out. But this seems more random than that. There's not a lot of opera questions on, on this show. So in round two, whoever has the lowest score is eliminated from the game. Their money is brought back to Ben's bank. And we go into round three, the best of ten, the test of knowledge, which I would say is the storytelling of the show, uh, where each of them get the same ten questions, and they're in isolation booths. 60 seconds to answer all ten questions. If the contestant can answer all more questions than Ben Stein, they will get the full $5,000. In the event of a tie, they get one thousand dollars. In an event that Ben beats them, well, they only have the consolation prize of what they won in the first two rounds. Uh, what what I had to bring up is the isolation booths. Uh,
1: yeah, they're really interesting because I mean I remember Ben Stein's being very. Um, luxurious and elaborate i mean he's in like a leather upholstered chair there's like art hanging all around him and like you just generally get a very warm you know study or, or library type feel from the whole thing uh and then the I, I didn't really process at the time when i used to watch this that they they do the exact opposite with the contestants isolation booth it's not just a plain isolation booth it's designed to look more broken down and more i just worn and poverty i guess
0: the moralizing there's there's boarded up windows there's drywall broken and the clock
1: so it's really fun to kind of unpack a little bit of the symbolism of that right so i mean the whole premise is that ben stein is a very smart guy and to be able to you know challenge and overcome him would be a significant hurdle for any contestant um what's really interesting is that when you you take that uh, idea about the disparity in knowledge, right? You take that idea that you know, just this guy's just smarter. He's better educated. He spends his time reading books, and then you you layer the sort of material social reality over that. You're like, well, of course, Ben Stein gets to sit on this leather throne and sort of lord it over people, and of course, this other person who's probably less intelligent ends up with this shittier outcome, which really isn't as a very again, Ben Stein being a, a Nixon speechwriter, this whole idea that you're – worth in the world and you know everything you have handed to you your material conditions are entirely uh, defined not only by your natural skills but how well you put them to use right so it's just a really interesting kind of like through thread like of course ben's gonna be the fancy guy who wears the suit when all the contestants kind of like dressed out and look kind of schmucky um because and they you know, do dress very theory. schmucky <laughs> they do that's an extremely baggy uh set of contestants on there
0: <laughs> although t- but but then suits are also baggy as well like it's very true,
1: true. yeah 90s suits were, were still pretty baggy but uh um, yeah and, and it's just funny to think of like uh layering the um and at the end, at the end of the day, though, another funny thing is that it's not really that much money that they can stand like to win, right? I mean, Ben Stein obviously isn't really losing money out of pocket; he's just losing a potential uh, oh. sum from the total the total budget, right? Mm. And the other thing is, like, five thousand bucks isn't really like make or break. And so the whole thing has this kind of a funny. If I was to read like the the darkest kind of read of this, I mean, it's a vanity project. By a rich guy to lord his intelligence and capability over less rich people by dangling a relatively small amount of money in front of them, money that even if he loses, he doesn't really lose. And I'm just like, there's a, there's a, something of a dark read in that. But um, yeah, there you go.
0: I mean, five thousand dollars back then was a pretty much the basic prize budget on the extended cable game show. So, okay. it, so it's things like Scrabble. They made a game show of Scrabble with that kind of money. Debt kind of had people pay off their credit card debt, and it was usually around like $5,000. So the $5,000 is all right, but it's usually a cable. Like, for instance, Supermarket Sweep had $5,000 as their cash prize. Uh, so so th- was it really? Who wants to be a millionaire? That kind of broke the
1: ceiling on that and really upped the total prize values. Was uh, that the first show to go nuts like that? Or I guess thirty-two thousand dollar pyramid or whatever it was. Yeah, one hundred
0: thousand dollar pyramid did that. Uh, one hundred thousand. Yeah. But you also had uh, well, the big money pro game shows have been around for like the longest time. Sixty-four thousand dollar questions were in the fifties and sixties. You had mm-hmm. twenty-one, and then the game show scandals. Uh, The big money game show has always been around in American television. It's just what is considered the big money has changed because of inflation. Uh, So I think with the $5,000, it's basic game show prize money, uh, which is not that bad. If you consider it was stripped, which is Monday through Friday. So they gave away $25,000 theoretically every week. Or wow.
1: Theoretically, though, what do you think the percentage of folks who actually won the 5,000 were? Cause I remember not many people, when I would watch this kind of regularly when I was younger,
0: uh, I don't remember, maybe like one out of every seven or eight? Yeah, that was about it. Uh, but usually it was a tie. Uh, originally, the rule was if it was a tie, they actually got the five grand in the first season. Oh, interesting. Wow. It was if you can beat if you can match me or beat me because you had the same wi- like level of intelligence as me. And he was like in the first early seasons, he was like an asshole version of Ben Stein. Like you got to be smarter than me if you want the money. And um, he
1: loses a couple
0: dozen times,
1: and all of a sudden it's
0: like the yeah. producers <laughs> stepped in, went, "No, we can't have that happen. We got to just." thousand bucks you gotta have
1: him be a somewhat like charming character i think it's funnier like uh, the episode we watched right they had a lot of banter and Ben Stein was like a little jokey and like dismissive but at that point i feel like everyone kind of settled into their roles and they just seemed very natural and loose and it was fun um i felt like that works better than him just being like super condescending like the whole time right because i don't know it's just yeah it worked better
0: well and the show has international appeal too uh australia was when roy and hg's money uh, the United Kingdom was probably the more popular one internationally because it was with Jeremy Beadle, who is uh, who gave away a thousand pounds, and that one uh, is and, and if you don't know who Jeremy Beadle is, uh, he he was basically a, a radio presenter and a television guy who does a lot of corporate speaking events too. So it's similar in nature to a Ben Stein character, uh, but unlike him, he's not a you know a Nixon speechwriter. <laughs>
1: Uh, He's a Margaret Thatcher speechwriter. He's like a
0: Margaret Thatcher shoe (laughs) pounder. Um, So when Ben signs money, uh, it is weird enough that it has its own dichotomy. Uh, Besides uh, Jimmy Kimmel, it was Nancy Pimenthal for one season, pretty much. And then it went to Sal Econo, who is cousin Sal, who also works on Jimmy Kimmel Live these days. Uh, Until the show basically fell off week off because no one really cared much for ben stein uh i think it's because jimmy kimmel once he left like no one wanted to watch the show
1: it uh, is interesting to think like you know jimmy kimmel never really got top billing on that show but actually turned out to be like kind of the linchpin right or i guess i would say more the chemistry between the two of them was so critical to the show's success was, you know and then when you start messing with that yeah you
0: lose it and the any other niche thing you have to bring up is the soundtrack no, usually with a game show it has you know a game showy theme song you know that like these have all classical music uh symphony number no. nine oh to joy is in the beginning of the episode and then at the end right at the valkyries is played because of the infamous closing line that you hear on every episode the uh if it, it on some distant planet on some distant day you can win ben stein's money <laughs> so i challenge you all to write call or email to futility.com in the hopes in small as it might be that on some distant planet on some distant day you might and in, in that weird funny echo win ben stein's money
1: i feel like culturally they were kind of ahead of the curve a little bit telling people to uh um... To email in in, like, this 1999.
0: Is, that, that's actually what I was going to bring up. Uh, because I overheard on your podcast... <laughs> <laughs> you
1: had a question about casting. <laughs> I was very interested in the process behind this.
0: It was. Uh, Fetili.com. They had emails and phone numbers. And they had... This was just the first game show. I would say of, the like, every game... Like, this is one of the earliest game shows to actually do their casting online versus what would typically be the case of you would send a postcard or call in if you're in the area. Because a lot of these game shows have a contestant hotline. You're like, if you're in the LA area and you want to be a contestant on the show, please call 1-800-blah-blah-blah. Blah, blah. On this one, it still had the phone number, but they also had email. Hmm. And the idea was supposed to be uh, easier is if you're, if you like, say, for instance, you are visiting at a town, like you're on a vacation and you're in L.A. for like four days, you can email and, and we'll book you on the show for casting or whatever. Because as you figure out, like there's a lot of quick casting on the show. And they kind of don't... Yeah, really... I, and what I like works. about this show I mean, is they don't really go with the siren contestants.
1: There's n- the what siren... do you mean by siren contestants?
0: Oh, uh, you know, your dealer, no deal wheel of fortune. Woo! I gotcha. Yeah, they're not like
1: super amped up like that.
0: These are just some dull people. They really did probably grab off the street, but they, they didn't. They actually had to go through a process where they had to call and actually go through a small quiz. And then after that small quiz, then they would end up on the show. Oh, bas- that's
1: kind of fun with the quiz quiz for like basic competence
0: yeah basically like you're standing behind the like a, like imagine they had a folding table and they're in the production office and it's okay here's a quest like here's three sample questions i just want you to say i will take this and then i'll read the question off and then buzz in like a fake buzzer and tell me your answer like that was how they usually get through the contestant questions and see how they go go on the show I think that's that's uh, really clever to have the
1: email, too, because I feel like it also was probably less of a burden on the production team to constantly be like, engaged in phone calls where it's just easier to manage like an email queue.
0: Absolutely, and that's what they do to this day now is they kind of go through a lot of uh, online – now it's like a, just like a Google Doc where it's just insert your number, insert your photo of yourself – Tell me about yourself. Do you have any hobbies? What would you do if you won the million dollars? Um, but uh, but the Win Ben Stein's money definitely, I'd say, holds up on the show. A uh, fun fact about Win Ben Stein's money—that was like one of the first questions I got—was could Win Ben Stein's money be revived? If so, how? i think it could i not sure you could do i mean would you do it with ben
1: stein i i think though the format works pretty universally i mean if you had someone who could fill that role i'm trying to think who it would be like a equivalent character so, I, you know
0: you you, know, you could do it with john
1: hodgman because he john actually Hodgman's did
0: pro- that's a good and then who would
1: you guys the kimmel role then well, so even when he did judge, do you remember there was a podcast? Judge, Joe, or, judge Hodman? Yeah. I actually think it's a very similar dynamic to when Ben Stein's money where like John Hodgman was supposed to be this like very, you know, a kind of more tongue in cheek, but like an urbane educated guy. And then, you know, he just had like a kind of a standard host. Um, whose name escapes me right now but is actually a pretty funny dude and I feel bad about this, but uh, I can't remember his name. But So it was the same dynamic, right? People would kind of call in or they'd write in with their their questions and their sort of like Reddit questions and then John Hodgman would like give them a verdict type thing. Um, I think that dynamic would work. I think John Hodgman actually might be the best person to reboot when Ben sends money.
0: When John Hodgman's money. Yeah, I can could
1: totally be- see that. Yeah.
0: See, when I got that question, I said it was a, a Jeopardy contestant uh, because everyone goes Ken Jennings. It would be Ken Jennings because he's the big Jeopardy expert. So you want to win his money because you've heard he won like three million dollars on Jeopardy. And then the host. I think was, it would totally
1: work with him. It's interesting with with Ken Jennings though because Ken Jennings is like seemingly a, a very intelligent, but also like a very approachable, normal guy, other who's just like very clever. Like he doesn't have a real never really plays up the arrogance angle. I feel like he's a little more uh, self-effacing.
0: Yeah, and, the, uh, and then the, the audience, was, and then there was the uh, contestant should be, uh, Gabra should be the Kimmel role, because, you know, funny fat guy, uh, who's a loud mouth, which would <laughs> I work. I that it would work. <laughs> yeah. uh, and he has hosting experience. He hosted things like The Substitute and Hair Jacked, so, so I could see that. And then I said my version should be a little different. Mine was it should be Brad Rudder. Brad Rudder is also a Jeopardy champion. In fact, he made more money than Ken Jennings on Jeopardy. He has darker hair, occasionally has facial hair. Yeah. Like that's the guy I'm thinking of. A, yeah, I remember it, him. So he can play up the regal role, which I think is the needs to be part of the show is they have to have that 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 in part actor. So he can play that distinguished, I know more than you and I'm the smart one and welcome to my library of expertise.
1: Yeah, it's one of those things where you really have to get in a situation where you're rooting for the contestants to like beat that smug son of a bitch. Like, I mean, yeah. that's really if he can the play thing smug son of a bitch, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whereas Ken Jennings, I feel like, just isn't that. He's it's just a nice guy. So, like, you're more interested in seeing Ken Jennings like run up the score and be like unbeatable. I think that was part of the charm of his win was like, you know, even when he was like absolutely killing it on Jeopardy, he was still like tried to be you know, disarming about it. It was never like, you know, it never got up there and did the typical, like, all right, I'm going to kill this. Let's do this.
0: <laughs> and then <laughs> like, my choice of, like, of host was Jack Allison. <laughs> I said, Jack Allison <laughs> should do it. Cause I can't <laughs> think of anyone better who is beat the rich guy up than Jack. Allison. <laughs> no, I
1: think that would actually be, I, I second that. I think that Jack would actually be perfect in the Kimmel role in this, which is funny. Cause if I believe, I'm remembering this correctly, Jack also might have worked professionally with Jimmy Kimmel Yeah, at one he was point a writer career. for
0: Jimmy Kimmel Live, so he has that same tone of voice and some of the same, like, I would say same of the same quips it Yeah, Jack,
1: work. if you are yeah, he has the same tone of voice and it's kind of the same mannerisms. Jack, if you're listening to this this is your opportunity to pair up with somebody in that, you know um, that John Hodgman role and really and kill this thing because I think it's maybe time for it to come back I
0: get, get Hodgman get Jack Allison that would work. I could totally see that. And then like that. up and the it, money, and then up the money, like ten grand. Like, do you have to up it up that much, just double the dollars to ten grand. Like, it still has to be yeah, so.
1: And I think it's funny because you could actually play with the grandiosity. Like, I mean, Ben Stein tried to keep it
0: somewhat. Well, if they win, like, if they beat Ben Stein's money, it rains money. Like, they drop the hundred dollar yeah. bills on the floor. John Hodgman did it, I think
1: there'd be more of a slightly cartoonish arrogance. Whereas like Ben Stein, like the whole the if you look around the stage and everything, you're seeing like a rich old Republicans library, basically. Yes. Like But I think you could do a more of a, a clearly like monarchical kind of like jokey if it was judged, or a guy like it, Hodgman, yeah.
0: It would be like a video monitor projection of like different famous artwork with like John Hodgman's face over it much like Ben Stein. Exactly, yeah. And I think there could be like a much more cuz I mean he basically just hops off the the main
1: hosting booth and then moves over to the open contestant seat and uh stand and um and win Ben Stein's money. But if like Hodgman or somebody more openly comedic and grandiose did it you could do like have him drop down from a panel or something like i mean there could just be some craziness to it that would be like really fun and like
0: over the top so he has get he gets like the wire effect and there's like smoke fog machine (laughs) exactly (laughs) or they just
1: like represent him on a screen like kind of like uh instead of like being physically present it's just... Like, they've just got him, like, telepresenced in. That would be kind of funny. There's a lot of things you could do with it.
0: But I, I still think you have to have, like, make it be the regal library aesthetic, though, of, like, the bank. Yeah. If anything, a bank. Because it is money. Yeah, just amp it up. I'd say, just, yeah, just take everything that Ben Stein's money
1: did and just make it, like, kind of more over the top.
0: Make it, like, a flashy giant projection screen so you can show the money that way instead of just this weird egg crate screen.
1: How crazy would that be though to do a reboot of Ben Stein's that even more of a deconstruction because then you're talking like this insane like second level deconstruction where like (laughs) Ben Stein's money is playing against the Jeopardy kind of uh, standard, right? And then you do the reboot of when Ben Stein's money, that's even more of an abstraction. That's
0: uh, (laughs) kind of wild. And then you, and it's still, it. and you have Jack Allison's comedy with, with uh, John Hodgman's dry wit. It works. I think that would definitely work.
1: I think Jack should really dial up John Hodgman and see what he's up to lately, which I don't
0: think is much. So (laughs) bring it it back. And they could still work in Comedy Central. They currently don't have any game shows as far as I'm concerned. Like they just, the most recent quote unquote game show they had was Taskmaster, but that was like a panel game show.
1: That is amazing to think that there really is like a real market failure here, right? We're, we're, we're pitching some gold here production wise.
0: That's kind of the appeal of this. This is kind of why I kind of wanted to do a game show podcast. It's just basically free money for production companies. Please hire me. Please hire Shane for (laughs) your consulting uh, for an upcoming game show. I'm in the LA area, but if you're in like the East coast, like please hit him up, especially the DC area. I feel like there's –
1: yeah, you could definitely do this with some folks in D.C. because D.C. is the most – this is a little insider baseball for you, uh, Jordan, if you're not from the uh, D.C. area originally. Um, The trivia nights here – are absolutely insane people take them very seriously and they're in groups and it's like a big recreational thing out here and people get like really worked up about it because dc is home to a lot of folks who are kind of ben steiny in their outlook or they're kind of like the quiz kid or the debate kid in their high school and then they go (laughs) off to get their first job they go off to their first big city and they get their job in the government and then that gives them an inflated sense of stature and then they also try (laughs) to exercise that on their friends and so you get these incredibly insufferable trivia nights um so yeah you could do you could totally do it here on the east coast too in in the washington dc area i think it'd be kind of funny to do it with obama if you wanted to just take like the DC version and be like are you smarter than barack obama and just literally have him as like the ben stein character but i guess it wouldn't be i don't know if that would work but it, it would be a kind of yeah because he's not that over the top i mean it would I be mean, funny to
0: see him like I walk, mean, there is right dc on jeopardy because i mean there's the power players week usually on jeopardy and they usually get a lot of dc people and newsmakers i think Anna oh tomorrow sure. was on the most recent season <laughs> to be honest how did she do I think she did okay, but the most infamous one was they had Wolf Blitzer on. He was the one that got in the red. Wolf
1: Blitzer is um, really great at reading um, whatever you put in front of him, uh, kind of like a Ron Burgundy type thing, but my impression is that it might not go particularly deep.
0: <laughs> it's, uh, so usually my favorite week of Jeopardy is the Power Players Week, because it's like a celebrity Jeopardy, but none of these people are really famous or talented. That just kind of just you see on CNN. Uh... What? But yeah, I do enjoy Win Ben Stein's Money. I think we did do a good reboot of Win Ben Stein's Money with John Hodgman. And we get Jack Allison. It worked. I think it will work a lot. It will totally work. uh, There's a whole lot of game shows on Comedy Central. Uh, I would say an offshoot of this was like Beat the Geeks, which was pop culture trivia. And I think that's where all the pop culture questions showed up instead. It is kind of funny how Beat the Geeks went from like kind of a niche thing. Because that came out in
1: like the early 2000s or late 90s.
0: Mm-hmm. And that was with uh, two different hosts, J.K. Van Stratten and Blaine Capach.
1: I feel like a lot of people who watched that show went on to model, like, at least their internet personalities, if not their real-world personalities, like, after the Beat the Geeks guys. Like, I,
0: I Paul Paul like show had... Paul Goebel, who's the TV geek, is still a stand-up comedian. Like, he's a, he's a very funny stand-up comic, actually. <laughs> But
1: that whole sort of, like, pedantic, like, deep dive on the cultural thing, like, that really was a type of person for, like, you know, the decade after that show aired. Like, it really did capture something about the zeitgeist, you know?
0: Well, well I guess we have to come back for that episode, then. Uh,
1: <laughs> I, dude, I will definitely come back for the Beat the Geeks episode.
0: Because there's a lot of game shows that end up on uh, Comedy Central. First one was Make Me Laugh, because, you know, stand-up comedy, Make the Contestant Laugh was a simple premise. Uh, then you had this, which was the longest running one, the, the actual Emmy Award winning show. You had Versus with Greg Proops. You had Don't Forget Your Toothbrush with Mark Curry. You had Distraction with Jimmy Carr. Uh, you had Whose Line Is It Anyway reruns. I don't know if that counts. Uh, uh, you, you had, uh, you, you had, I believe, what was the last one? I'm, I'm throwing a blank. I already said Distraction. Um, I think that's most. That's Masters? Yeah, BattleBots. BattleBots. Battle <laughs> you got to have the voice too. It's BattleBots.
1: BattleBots is definitely one of the most Japanese American game shows. Like that is the one that you feel like you're almost watching like some other country's television show because like the premise is kind of nuts, the set is sort of extreme and like the amount of physical destruction that takes place on that show. Like it's a lot of fun. It's also very weird to me that it ended up on Comedy Central because there's nothing really funny about BattleBots.
0: They were trying to go for comedy with Bill Dwyer as one of the commentators. Uh, also, it was, they were trying to start it out under the Comedy Central sports banner because someone at the network thought, okay, if this ticks off, we can have other funny sports broadcasts and this could continue being like the MTV Rockin' Shock.
1: And if not, it's still funny to, like, it's just still comedic that there was a Comedy Central sports thing that existed at one point in our cultural history. So either way, it's funny. Either it takes off and it's great, or it's still like a funny little weird historical
0: footnote. And then it sh- and then it end up on ABC and now Discovery Channel. So that goes to tell you where the I feel like... Discovery is more of a natural home. I feel like. Uh, also, I would say the most recent when Ben Stein's Money type show was The Chase. Uh, it was a show on Game Show Network. Uh, also, it, it is a big, big hit in the UK on ITV, which is similar. There's the big trivia genius, and you have to beat them on trivia, um, which I think is a more British thing, I think, than American. But if it has the wit, I, I think it might work here. I could definitely
1: see... It's interesting to think about this show. Um, you mentioned the British equivalent of Win Ben Stein's Money, but it is interesting to think of this show in a country like England, which has, like more of a historical ability to discuss like class issues and culture right upstairs downstairs down nabby like the whole kind of you know british people are used to seeing cultural figures like trying to bridge this divide somehow so putting like a really posh rich british guy and then having like just normal british people uh compete for some pool of money is is a really clever thing and in a way like he tries to bring that over to America, but it's interesting to see what makes that transition and what doesn't. Like, I mean, there just isn't like as much explicit class, class tension when you get to Win Ben Stein's money, but then you see it in like the isolation boots like we talked about. It's still there, but I think it's a little less pronounced.
0: Here are, according to Wiki, WikiQuotes, some categories from Win Ben Stein's money. Here's some of Clark felt like Superman when he got her in the lowest position. My foot fetish led to a podiatrist. Big tips, Bet not trist, found G-R-Y-S-T. at a <laughs> uh, Pour some syrup on my left waffles. Keep your hands off my ball, Zach. German marches not involving Nazi bastards. Her Sunni disposition soon turned into Shiite.
1: It is kind of a funny – you know, it's funny about the Sunni Shiite joke. That must have happened in an episode after 9-11 because I don't think a single American knew the difference between Sunnis and Shiites in <laughs> before 2001. Um, but it is, it is funny to think that because Ben Stein couldn't see the questions for the second round and then the lightning round, um, the producers and the writing team were able to sort of write topics to try to make him laugh. Like, there's an interesting kind of thing there, right? Because he would not have been involved in, in that part of the production at all. Um, and so they were able to kind of sneak stuff in for the express purpose of seeing if they could make Ben Stein laugh. So it is, it is kind of a funny thing to watch, too, once you once you have that in your mind. Because sometimes they really get him and he cracks up.
0: And it, and sometimes it just embarrass him. Like, it's one of these, I agreed to be on the show. I get maybe $3,000 per episode plus whatever I make left here. Uh, oh, oh, God. Oh, God god damn it <laughs> like they just...
1: got to be culturally rehabilitated which frankly is priceless for a guy who i mean members of this the nixon administration some of those guys went to jail after and uh, Ben Stein came out of it and uh smells like roses until he you know calls uh popular democratic politicians hitler but i mean he really that credibility was his to lose after 2003
0: i mean gordon libby ended up on celebrity big uh celebrity fear factor in an episode like, that's wild. I'd forgotten about that. Libby ended up on, on Fear Factor. Roger Stone. Who knows what happened to that guy?
1: Yeah, <laughs> but someone uh, should look up and see what Roger. Someone Google Roger Stone, and see what he's up to lately. But Ben Stein, he's the one that made it out pretty much unscathed he did roger stone's a funny one too because roger stone actually has the personality like if you wanted to make roger stone a game show host that would actually probably work like he just has enough of that like wacko charisma um i have no idea what the premise of the show would be i could see
0: him on like a fear factor type thing or i don't even
1: i really don't even know he's
0: the penguin from the batman comics all you gotta do is (laughs) you just gotta just revive like make like a live action batman themed adventure series <laughs> like uh like a <laughs> crystal maze or a Fort Boyard kind of show, like just hey everyone. Or or the I'm trying
1: to think of like a Legends of the Hidden Temple with Roger Stone as the host and like he pokes his head out of like the different little obstacles and everything.
0: <laughs> like, hey, he's I have nothing
1: to do here. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: What's going on here? Uh anyway. <laughs> uh we're, we are wearing <laughs> down when bedside's money definitely is a show that could be revived definitely one of the better game shows to have come out of the 90s uh and we have we have now a, a job for both john hodgman and jack allison if this ever gets revived get guys get to it we gotta get to it so before we go there is one final round we get to do here it is a 60-second speed round. Five questions, and for every correct answer you get is one free plug. You get all five oh, questions nice. right, you get five free plugs. Most podcasts only give you two. This is for five. True. Are you ready? Go for it. I'm ready. All right, so let me just put 60 seconds on the clock. Here we go. What would turn Ben Stein on?
1: I assume it would be a room full of money, but I don't know. I actually have no idea.
0: Pass. Favorite late night talk show host. I mean Jimmy Kimmel now. Who is your 2020 presidential candidate? Ray Sanders. Name any cartoon cat. Garfield. Smartest person on Beast Coast. Uh Adam. Alright. There you go. Time is up. You got all five right. <laughs>
1: Thanks. Uh, I actually only really do have two things to plug. So you can find us on iTunes or SoundCloud, uh, Beast Coast Podcast. Um, we release one episode a week, uh, no Patreon or anything. It's entirely free. And then you can follow us on Twitter at Beast Coast Pod. Um, we are uh, out there to solicit feedback from the listener base and to get ideas for folks want to hear us episodes. Um, we're pretty topically broad-ranging uh podcast so really nothing you can throw at us is really gonna mess us up that bad so um i want to thank you jordan for having me on and uh i look forward to uh hearing this when it comes out
0: well i'm gonna take these three plugs and then put them in my bank bump all right thank you for stopping by
1: my pleasure jordan thanks
0: That was Shane from Beast Coast. Check out his podcast, Beast Coast. It's on iTunes. It's a very fun podcast. Celebrating three years, once again. Amazing stuff. Uh, Let's get some more fun facts out of the way here before we we get going. Uh, The Ben Steins Cup was actually like a tournament of champions uh, where there was $25,000 of Ben's money on the line featuring three contestants that won the $5,000 before. Uh, in round one, the values for round one were $50, $100, and $150, with that $50 follow-up, meaning questions could be anywhere from $100 to 150 to 200 In round two, the values were either $200, $300, $400, or $500 for different values, and there were no toss-ups. Now, after Jimmy Kimmel, there were a couple of hosts. Uh, Nancy Pimenthal was the first one after Kimmel Uh, because he went on to do uh, Man Show and Crank Anchors, which I believe is now coming back, believe it or not. Uh, Nancy is actually the executive producer and the writer for the Showtime television series Shameless, which is the uh, the Emmy-nominated show for Best Dramedy, I guess, because I don't know if it's a comedy or drama, but she's the executive producer for that. In addition to that, uh, she was the writer from South Park from 1998 to 2001. That's probably why she got the gig, because her connections with comedy central also she was nominated for outstanding game show host for Win benstein's money but she lost in 2002 to bob barker from the price is right now sal econo is actually jimmy kimmel's actual cousin that's why he gets the nickname cousin sal and he is also on jimmy kimmel live these days uh his first writing gig for television was not, however, for Kimmel. It was for a game show called Sports Geniuses on the Fox Sports Network, hosted by Matt Vaskerjian. It was also the last host for Win Ben Stein's Money, but he was nominated for Outstanding Game Show Host at the Daytime Emmys in 2003. And yes, he, he lost to Alex Trebek. The only time... They did win a Daytime Emmy, was 1999. Ben also had a cancelled Comedy Central talk show called Turn Ben Stein On, a spin-off of Win Ben Stein's Money that only lasted one season. I can't figure out why a show with Ben Stein would be cancelled. But hopefully... Uh, we take a nice shine to win Ben Stein's money, and hopefully that reboot ever happens, because I think me and Shane came up with a great idea. And now it's time for a continuation of the 110-part series exploring every pricing game from The Price is Right. This is a show we like to call The Pricing Game Spotlight. Okay, today's game is high low. It's a grocery item game of products that are high and products that are low. It's up to the contestant to find the high ones to win. High low, premiere date April 9th, 1973, tape day 0321D. Premiere day of the carrier, which doesn't count. I'm still saying the carrier era debut dates shouldn't matter. October 18th, 2007, number 4044K. Pricing and location center stage. Uh, finale date for Barker was June 11, 2007. Number 4031K. It, once again, the game never got canceled. It's still in rotation to this day. But here's the gameplay for high, low. The contestant is shown six grocery items and asked to select what they think are the three highest priced items. And their prices are revealed and placed on the high row. Then the lowest priced items are, are checked and placed in the low row. If all 3 remaining items are placed lower than the least expensive of the selected items, the contestant wins a prize. Here's some history of the game. The first and possibly second playings of High Low had different rules. The contestant selected an item, its price was revealed, and they guessed whether it was one of the 3 expensive items or at least or one of the 3 less expensive items. This continued until either all 6 items were correctly placed or a mistake was discovered. There have been 3 Hilo sets. The first one was orange, matching the colors of the show's first set, and lasted five years. The second one was white and clear and introduced in June 12, 1978. Well, that looks nice. The third and current set introduced in October 26, 1990 is blue and still in use. Maybe it should be changed then. Until May 15, 2008, the game would be wheeled out on stage by two Barker's Beauties ugh, in front of Contestants Row, and the main prize was shown after the grocery items and the gameplay were described. A similar case that was originally with the grocery game. Though with the September 22nd, 1997, playing, the price description was read before the grocery items due to Bob interacting with the contestant, John. Since then, the game has been moved behind the giant price tag and revealed after the main tries has been described like any other pricing game. On October 25th, 2013, a contestant named Amber Coral won a $20,000... 000... Oh, it's the publisher... We have to care about the publisher clearinghouse week. Do we? Do we really need... Okay. Okay. It was played in the third slot. Oh, that's a great fact. I never would have cared. But, yeah, hey, did you know someone uh, one episode because of a gimmick, won a gimmick, and it was the third slot? Sure. Sure. Good fact. Okay. Um, on March twenty fifth, 2016, uh, there was a trip to the Final Four in Houston, Texas, where $5,119. Uh, oh, this is the College Rivals episode. Do we need... So this was in the College Rivals. Okay. A contestant named Melly Brown lost it, causing Adam Engelhard of Alabama to win a thousand dollars. I don't. That that's more something that's worth talking about in the actual like Price is Right episode, not really the pricing game spotlight. But sure, uh, January seventeenth, Drew and contestant Russell were standing in front of contestants' row when the price described behind door number two was being described. And afterwards, when the models wheeled out the game to be played at center stage, I'm guessing that's because of. Uh, They wanted it to be similar to the olden days, because I'm thinking that was one of the decades episodes. On February 19th, 2018, during Big Money Week, high-low was played for $10,000, but unfortunately was lost. On January 7th, 2019, it's a $20,000 bonus from Publisher's Clearinghouse. Those don't matter. I don't care about the Publisher's Clearinghouse. Stop giving me the facts. Oh, it was playing on the first slot. Oh, that's totally different then. Never mind. Man, the first one was on the third slot. This is the first slot. What what fantastic facts. I was expecting something good with the wiki. I was expecting, you know, like, Hi, love, the first ones were played with, like, a can of coffee and some light bulbs and some honey and, and, a, and a jar of jam and some peanut butter and a loaf of bread. But no, we're getting the fucking publisher's clearinghouse gimmick because i guess that's that's worth knowing there was a publisher's clearinghouse with this game and they gave away money on this okay this is the first pricing game to display its name on the game's prop. See, that's a fun fact. That's something worth noting. The game, is, the game is called High Low. It is shown on on the the, the game board. It's called High Low. The most number of times the game was played in any season was sixty six. Uh, a Mad TV parody of The Price is Right in two thousand two featured a contestant playing a very abbreviated version of High Low with four products. The set used was reminiscent of the current version of the game. Well, that's. Fun, I guess. Um, on the British version hosted by Bruce if this was played with similar gameplay, but two bonus prizes were offered, and the contestant chose the prize they would like most if won. Oh, okay. Well, you do you then. I I kind of I kind of like Hilo, but I think it's also kind of just a... I, I find it to be a boring grocery game. It's my least favorite of the grocery item games uh, in rotation right now. Uh, because while well, the game is called High Low, and you're just finding the three most expensive items, and then it's the drama of are the three that you haven't picked the lowest priced items. I, I just don't find it that exciting of a of a of a game other than the the drama. Because if you're going to maximize the drama, which we which we bring up in every pricing game spotlight, all it has to be is that you picked a prize that's like definitely in the middle of what people expect. Because there's usually like two prizes they're like at least twelve dollars and then one like it's like six dollars it's like okay well six dollars is the is the highest that you have so now the drama of is the other three that you've selected less than six dollars um i i think it's an all right game i'm not like gonna diss that but i i feel like it, it it's 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 weird that it's called high-low when we barely... Why is there... The... Basically, what I'm trying to say is, why is there the three pricing slots then on the set if only one matters in the top spot and the other three are just there just for decoration, I guess? Because not all six of the slots for high-low are utilized, which I think is, is weird. Um, if it was, you know and I know probably the original reason was like a magnet kind of thing. So it's you, you flip it to reveal and put it in high low. Cause that's the way the original set was. Cause that was the first rules, but I would say uh, high low needs a redo. I think it definitely needs a new set and I definitely think it it needs a little improvement. Um, I think what it needs to be is probably kind of like a truncated version uh, maybe like five items and then you pick two and keep going down the line or you pick one item you or you just pick the three lowest items or you just have some variation where it's the high is the high and the low is the low and you got to pick um and basically think think like the uh give and keep game you gotta pick the two items that are high, the ones that are low, or maybe because if the game is high low, do exactly what like it is with um, with uh, with the with the dice game. The let them roll. The game is let them roll, not dice game. Let them roll. Okay, got correction. Let them roll. Where it's the three pricing game, where it's the three grocery items higher or lower than the one before it. That that's high and low in general. You can go with that if you want to. Because I I think with this game, yeah, you're picking three high items, and then we're seeing the three low items. And I think that's a clever uh, way of going through it. But it it doesn't serve a purpose of the set. So either, like, reveal the prices and then have, like, a screen show up, like, what's the third lowest, and then keep going with the lower three. Or have it so, like, the contestant has to push up like have all three down the line and push them up if they think it's high and push down if they think it's low and like a four out of six wins or some sort of thing where it's not you have to get all six for six right because something tells me that's uh what's causing this to be an issue with the original rules of the game uh or what you could do is is simply just here's five items pick the most expensive and you win because that's essentially that's what Drew Carey does whenever that game is played. He says pick the three highest items and you win. So it's it's not even like pick the most expensive or pick the two highest or the three. It's, it's pick the three. And I, I mean, go for it, I guess. I was saying more in the lines of of you can do that where if it's it's five items and you pick one item that's the highest and you get like a second chance where it's if you find something that's a little higher than that, uh, you're not out, but you don't get like a $1,000 bonus of some kind. And then the other three get played. Something like that would be probably what I would have done if I did a high-low game, is you just pick two items, where you just pick one item, and then if you make one mistake, it's not the end of the world, you just don't get a bonus, but you can keep playing for the prize. Something like that. And the prices are okay because once again it's a versatile game you can play it for cash you can play it for a car you can play it for a vacation you could it for a, a, a jet ski it doesn't matter and i think that's a, a, a quality version of high low and the fact it's a grocery item means that they can get a lot of proc placement from different pricing items uh, that they can find at the supermarket which i find to be exciting this has been the pricing game spotlight i don't care much for high low but it is definitely a game that people play join me next time when we talk about the game sh- double digits that's the game it's called double digits uh before we get going uh would normally not do a question here but i just want to do a quick review uh there was a game show network game show that debuted recently called common knowledge and i want i think i reviewed it slightly i think the game is okay i think the set is great lots of diamonds look, looks like an old casino very old-school game show look Joey Fatone is a good host I think the questions are okay it's general knowledge and it's like common misconceptions pretty much are the names of the game however I think the, the game is a little screwy here's how it works it's two teams of three people uh, similar to America says uh, each there's four categories in the first round and each team gets two questions of the categories and they all get to lock in with an answer for each one they get right is 10 points if all three lock in with the same answer that's a 50 point bonus meaning they can either get zero points 10 points 20 points or 80 points on a question in round two it's it's played the same way except the values are double meaning it's 20 40 or 100 points, I think it's, no, it's 100 and, I think it's it's 160, 160, and then you go into round uh, three where it's written word, and the first question's worth $200, but if you get it wrong, your opponents can steal and play for 200 points, and then it's played again for 400 points. If, the, if need be, and whoever has the most points goes on to the bonus round where, each, where a person has to answer seven correct answers in a row. If they get a question wrong, they're out of the game, but there is one lifeline in the form of a pass, but it can only be used once per game. If they pass, the question is passed, and they cannot move on until the next question is answered. And if they get wrong, the next person takes its place. So it's basically a, a team game... But with trivia questions and slight trivia, graphic package looks something straight out of like 1950s Monopoly. And it's not that bad of a show. I have a problem with the scoring. I have a problem with uh, the the framing device of it. But the set looks really nice for a game show. I think that is a nice game show for what amounts to a, a regular ass trivia show with teams. And it's not even like a pub quiz thing where there's discussions. It really is just lock-in. And the scoring, I just do not care for. I think that maybe they had something else in mind, like money-wise or uh, the bonuses. But it's a little top-heavy, if you ask me. Um, I think they were probably originally going for like a common bond kind of game. And then this sort of showed up midway through at least that's my assumption i don't know but it feels like the the common knowledge aspect of it isn't really like common bonds so i'm thinking they originally had it so it was like something like only connect um it's an all right game show i think joey is a good host i think the set looks nice i think the format is okay i like the final round but other than that, it's kind of boring, and the questions are boring, and uh, that's it, the. Did you know that more diamonds are used for textile than in jewelry, like things like that? I, which okay, QI, but it's it it. I don't know. I, I think it's an okay show. It definitely has ratings, though. It sometimes gets over half a million viewers, which is kind of huge for a game show network. So good for them. But um, I, I don't know if, if I want to keep watching this. I w- if I had to give a letter grade, I would say it's a a definite C+. Plus. And um, I, I think that the show could do better. There's always there's gonna get season two. Just add, throw money to it. Throw money to it. Do the cash clock like on all these other shows. It feels like every other game show network original I have seen before. That's 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 why, and it's just a blur to me. But hey, sometimes that that's how it goes. If you want cheapness and you want a game show, I mean, go for it. But I know they could have done a little bit more clever with the show, and the scoring system is completely busted. Um, I think that's going to do it. Here for us on the on the show, uh, d- please send me an email at jordanhaas at gmail.com. Uh, visit my website, jordanhaas.com, for more episodes of this podcast, or subscribe to it on iTunes or, or Google Play. Do the rating system. I heard people do rating system still. So, hey, do that. So I feel like a legitimate podcast. And uh, we'll see you next week for a brand new game show. Until then... Uh, follow me on Twitter at George and Big Smooch. Mwah!